I lost some people who were very close to me and it sent me into quite a dark place. From the team behind Stylist, this is Nobody Told Me. Stories of life, love, grief, success and failure and the lessons learned by the women who survived to tell the tale. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist. In today's episode, we're joined by presenter and journalist Vic Hope. There are some people in life who you're convinced must have more hours in their day. Such is their impressive list of achievements. Vic Hope is one of those people. Born in Newcastle, Vic was so adamant that she wanted to go to Cambridge to study modern languages that she paid for her own evening courses and shocked her parents and her school when she won a place. A similar pattern has followed ever since. If she sets her mind on something, she makes it happen. Today, Vic is not only a hugely successful TV and radio presenter, she currently hosts Radio 1's much-loved Life Hacks show. She also speaks four languages, has worked with Amnesty International since just 16 years old, has written two children's books with her former co-presenter Roman Kemp, and she came forth in Strictly Come Dancing in 2018. She is clearly a woman with unfathomable amounts of energy and drive. But it's also that desire to impress, to always say yes, to seize every opportunity and to please everyone around her that led her to have a complete burnout a few years ago. Something which so many of us can relate to in a world that equates busyness with success. This is Vic's story in her own words. Hi, I'm Vic Hope. And nobody told me the importance of being alone. I think it might have been around GCSE time that I decided I wanted to be a journalist. I read The Kindness of Strangers by Kate A.D. and she just became this icon to me. She became this absolute legend as a broadcast journalist, as a foreign correspondent and I just wanted to have that career, have that life, to travel the world, to wear this hard hat, bulletproof vest, report on the front line, tell the stories that need to be told, let the world know what's going on. Cambridge is so outside of the realms of what we thought was possible that my teachers and even my own parents, they kind of discouraged it a little bit. They were all sort of like, maybe you should use up your UCAS options on something a bit more realistic, something you're more likely to actually be able to achieve. And I got my A grade AS and then my A grade A level. And I went for my interview. The letter came and I ran through the house and I wanted to shout to my mum, but she was on a work call. So I just had to mouth it to her and she didn't really understand what I was saying. So I like ran further through the house looking for my dad and he just didn't believe it. <laughs> he thought I was like lying. That night, I then went to a house party, got so drunk and I was so happy. I remember it just being a euphoric night. Like I remember kissing the boy that I fancied. I remember being sick in the toilet. Little did I know the hard work was about to start and actually going to Cambridge was was difficult but for that moment at that house party everything in the world was perfect I went away to Argentina for my third year of uni because I did languages you have to do a year abroad so I went over to Argentina to Buenos Aires where I worked as a journalist I got an internship at a paper called the Argentina Independent and it was brilliant but I just by chance met 
some guys from MTV US who were filming in Buenos Aires. I got talking to them. They were looking for a presenter for a pilot and they wanted someone who could speak English. And I was like, oh, it's been really good English. I'll do it. I'll give it a go. So I did a screen test and um, that was my first presenting gig. And it was, as I say, it was just a pilot. It never, it never went anywhere, but I just got a taste for it. And I was like, oh, it turns out you can do storytelling and communicating, but you can do it with your mouth, not just with a pen. So having done all that work with MTV in the US, I made some contacts and it led me to get a job, get an internship, my very first job in London with MTV there. It was an absolute godsend that I got this internship that was paid. So I started to be able to make money doing this thing that I was really into. And the whole time that I was learning everything behind the camera, I was also making my own videos in front of the camera and putting them on YouTube um, or sending them out to producers and commissioners, like really trying my luck. And it sort of just snowballed from there. Like each job I went on to was a little bit bigger than the next. I used to do BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. I did 5am on a Sunday morning, but because the, the only train I could get that would get me there on time would have to be Saturday night. So I'd go up on the last train on a Saturday night at midnight to Cambridge, sleep on the floor of the BBC. <laughs> And get myself up to do a show at 5am and then because the trains didn't start until later that day I just have to then sleep on the floor again for a little bit until they could I could get on a train at like nine and go back to London I was just constantly tired but I was I was loving it it was a time that was so exciting but it was also exhausting I slept so little there was so little time for sleep and I had to try and balance learning on the job and making a mark for myself with also like trying to pay rent I always had to have another job on the go things were going really really well but it did start to take its toll so I was doing every single morning getting up at half four to go and do a breakfast show followed by a full day of shooting um, I was doing lots of other music shows as well um, I'd done a documentary and but I was definitely on this conveyor belt of just working myself really hard without ever taking stock of how that might have been having an effect on my health. I was definitely such a yes person. I was scared of saying no because you don't know where your next job's going to come from. And you're worried as well, especially in this industry, that you're going to become old news or no one's going to be interested or you're going to lose your skill set. You're not going to keep up with what's going on. Things move fast and they might they might move without you. So you always want to keep yourself in the mix so I was scared of not being in the mix. Obviously, you're constantly looking for validation from other people. That's the nature of presenting because you're presenting yourself. It's not like acting. You're not putting anything on it. It's you. So if people don't like it, it is personal. So you're trying your very best to be liked all the time by saying yes all the time, by doing what you think people want you to do, by being who you think people want you to be. I remember at uni having a pretty a pretty difficult final year. I lost some people who were very close to me and it sent me into quite a dark place. I also broke my leg that year and couldn't exercise, which was usually my way of getting stuff off my shoulders. So I just felt very trapped and it was, it was awful. I, I felt like there was a darkness I wasn't going to come out of. I couldn't see an end in sight. And even during that time, I didn't tell a single friend. I didn't tell anyone except for my boyfriend at the time and a, a counsellor that I started seeing then. At that time, I just didn't feel like I could tell anyone because I was supposed to be the really fun one in our group. I was supposed to be the really upbeat one. I was the entertainer of the group. I was always, people come to me to, to laugh. And I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to show them myself crying because 
that wasn't my role. I was so worried that I would disappoint them. So I just, I just hid it. I just hid it. I remember so many nights, like, but we'd all be together and I'd just have to, I'd make an excuse. I was like, guys, I've got to go, I've got to go. And it was because I needed to go back to my room to just like cry because I just felt I was in such a, a, a difficult, dark place. And that was a very similar feeling to, I didn't want to be anything less than the presenter, I guess. So in the same way that you put a bit of a mask on, on days when you're not feeling your best, usually you're yourself, but sometimes you have to be able to give yourself a little push. And I felt like I was giving myself that little push every single day. I was like having to do it not only at work, but also when I was socialising, if I was with my friends, I was having to pretend to be okay and pretend to be more than okay, pretend to be great and super happy. And um, the truth was, I was breaking. And then I got offered Strictly Come Dancing, which was a dream come true because I love dancing so much. It makes me so happy. And uh, you don't turn that down. There was a little bit of concern about the fact that I was going to be doing a breakfast show throughout because a lot of people, when they do it, they they sort of put everything on hold and that's their job for that time. But I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's cool. I'm young. I, I've got this. I can do this. So I did Strictly Come Dancing alongside my breakfast show and alongside doing other filming commitments. It was a lot. And I worked pretty much 18-hour days and slept three to five hours each night, which, frankly, is, is just not enough. So the year that I did Strictly Come Dancing, I had just had a breakup. So I'd been with my, my then boyfriend for four and a half years before that. And before that, I'd actually had a boyfriend for six years. So my entire adult life, since the age of 18, I'd always had a long-term boyfriend. I had someone to then come home to. And not that we lived together, but, you know, we spent a lot of time together. And you have that support constantly and you're never alone. You've always got someone to vent to, someone to cry to, someone to be tired with, someone to hold you. And I never actually experienced not having that. Before that, I'd, you know, grown up with three brothers in a really noisy, exciting, vibrant household. We always had people around. I then went to uni, lived with my friends. I then went and lived with like 3,000 other people in a strange hostel come flat in Buenos Aires. And then I lived with my friends. I lived with my two girlfriends, Alice and Rachel, for six years when I moved to London. So I always had people around me. I always had a relationship. And when the relationship ended, just by chance, it coincided with the time that me and my girlfriends decided that we were all going to be grown up women and get our own places. So I moved out from this cocoon that I was so used to and into my own flat, something that I had always dreamt of doing, something that even as a little girl, I knew that that would be when I made it. I'd have my own space and you've earned that. This is all your money. No, No one has helped you not a single penny from your parents you've done this you did this for yourself you should be so proud but instead of then reveling in this thing that I'd achieved I didn't spend a single day in that flat I didn't spend any time here because I was just working constantly and I think now looking back I know that what I was doing was plugging up the silence because I'd never been on my own I'd never been in silence I'd never enjoyed my own company because I'd never had to I'd always been with someone or with lots of people. So I worked and worked and worked that year. My first year single since being a child, my first year living in my own place ever, and I spent no time there. Instead, I took three days off that entire year. This idea of coming home would be 
admitting that you're on your own. And that sounded to me like a weakness. I didn't want to be alone. The word alone was negative. It was lonely. Even when I wasn't working, if I had an evening free, I went on so many dates. And I went on dates with people that I guess they weren't great for me. They weren't the right people for me. And they didn't make me feel good. And I think I was sort of looking for someone to settle down with in the same way that I'd been quite settled before with long-term boyfriends without taking any time to just work out myself. Like, who am I? Who are you outside of a relationship? Who am I on my own? Because at the end of the day, I've only got myself and I I didn't even know who that, that person was. When everything seems to be going amazing and you're doing a national breakfast show and Strictly Come Dancing, you are bathing in sequins every Saturday night and doing all the things that you worked so hard to get to do, to broadcast, to present, to tell stories, to communicate. Nobody told me that it could put you in a place where you are so exhausted, so burnt out that you can't even move. And nobody told me that you needed to learn to be alone to enjoy, to love your own company, to find peace and to be yourself. My mum came down to London from Newcastle for the rap party for the final of Strictly Come Dancing and I could feel something then. I knew I was, I was just, I think there was the emotion of everything that was happening and this thing that's been a bubble that you've been in for so long being burst, that's over, it's done. I went home and the next morning I couldn't get up and my mum had been staying. She'd been staying in my spare room of this house that I never was in. And she was like, you're all right. And I just burst into tears. I was so exhausted and my body was so limp. It was so like weak. I remember we went through to the kitchen and I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't even drink my tea. And I just lay there with like my head in her lap and she was just stroking my head and, and I, I, like, I felt like I couldn't move my body. I was just so emotional and so overwhelmed. And I was like, I don't know what's wrong. And she's like, I think you're burnt out. I think you've burnt yourself out. Um, you're so exhausted, but you've also never been alone. And I remember her saying to me, you've never been on your own. You've never stopped and just been. You've never been silent. And I'd never thought about that. It just didn't feel like a relevant thing. It didn't feel like that big a deal, like not being on your own. But she was right. It was true. I'd never been on my own. And it was the prospect now of that being over. Strictly was over. Christmas was here. I was in this flat. I'm going to have to be on my own at some point. You don't have a boyfriend. You don't live with your friends. And she she said, you might actually really like it if you learn to. She'd been right in the past, my mum. I thought, you know what, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take what she said and, and see, see whether there's some truth in this as well. And um, packed my bags and I went to Malaysia. <laughs> it sounds so cliched, but I went and did a little yoga retreat in the middle of nowhere in this like rice paddy. It was, it was not a fancy one, but it was, it was great. It was just me and the couple that, that ran it very basic I had no electricity or internet and I just I just had time to think and to be at peace and to be at one and to be on my own all day every day um, while doing a bit of yoga 
and something just changed. That this sense of peace became something really beautiful, something really powerful, something that I really liked. It made me just feel different within myself. Like my own company was not just enough that I really enjoy my own company, and that actually at the end of the day. That's something that I can carry within myself. I can take it back to London. I can take it back to my flat and then I can be in my flat on my own and enjoy that. Being able to go somewhere new, see something you've never seen before and not having to vocalise it, not having to articulate how that made me feel, not having to go, wow, or look at that, which you always do when you're with another person. Not a bad thing, but not doing that made me internalise it. So I just felt that awe and feeling that awe was spectacular it was truly living in the present that was when I realized what living in the present meant it meant just feeling it I don't need to take a picture of it I might not need to think about it ever again I might not look back on it I'm not thinking about the future right now I'm literally just looking at that thing and and feeling something feeling really really alive there was a freedom to it and a peace to it at the same time My flat, when I returned, it was like a different place. It was like a haven. It was like a sanctuary. And I found myself enjoying those evenings alone with my own thoughts and realising that actually all I've got is myself because the noise, the work, the people, the boys, they'll come and they'll go. But at the end of the day, you've always got to come home to yourself. You've always got to come back to yourself. And that silence, it became my favourite thing. I just make sure I always have in the diary like a week here, a week there. I guess it's what you call holidays, <laughs> um, which I just hadn't really taken um, before that. So I, I, I made sure I had a couple of weeks throughout the year that I could take off. And um, that following year, I went off to Mexico, traveling on my own, to Morocco. And it made me work better as well because it made me work smarter. It put me in a place where I felt like I was more respectful of other people because I was more respectful of myself. It made me date differently. I realised that rather than looking for someone else to be a half, another half to make me whole, that I need to be whole myself. And I'm whole when I know I am enough. And that's what being on my own, that's what solitude taught me, is that I am enough. They always say you want someone else to be just the cherry on top of your cake. Your cake's got to be all well-made and have all the ingredients in there on its own. Like I'm a full-on Victoria sponge. Um, but if anyone is to come and be a part of my cake they can be the chair on top they make it really great but it doesn't need it I've got enough inside of me and I've got my own light and you, you what what you look for now is someone else who's also got their own light and you can bask in each other's lights but you don't need to ignite one another I started doing yoga more often so once or twice a week it's just that that little bit of time that you're taking for yourself each day and it, I think I would have thought to myself few years ago but you don't have that time the truth is you do you really do you can make that time and you'll thank yourself for it I had not realized how much I need um, nature and fresh air to feel good just a little bit of time each day so I started factoring into every single day a walk and just really getting that oxygen to my brain it's it's enlivening and it, it, it it makes me it makes me feel so much healthier mentally and physically I feel I feel stronger when I've had a bit of fresh air each day I do think that that's something that has proved really useful during the lockdown like factoring in some time outside walking and um, making sure I always had good music to listen to 
it just it lifts my mood and it, it reminds me I think you want daily reminders of the things that make you smile daily reminders of the things that make you happy that bring you joy there are tracks that do that there's music that does that there's fresh air that does that and just being kind enough to yourself to sprinkle them in every single day one thing I think that really helped with my sense of perspective and also my sense of peace during burnout and and post burnout was um, charity work for the last six years I've been volunteering at a refugee centre a project in Hackney near where I live it's a constant reminder of what's actually important if things are getting a little bit too much it gives you a sense of perspective it's a different way to be flexing those muscles and, and giving something back I owe a lot to the fact that I had that to go to when the rest of the world felt too much. It was a bit of solace, it was a bit of a sanctuary, um, but it's also a really important cause. Going into lockdown in March was obviously incredibly daunting. I was incredibly worried about what would happen next, not just in my career, but also like on a, on a personal level. Like I, I'm alone in my flat, something I've learned to love being, but you know 24 hours a day that might be getting a little bit much now totally alone so it was a very daunting thing as it was for so many people but I actually carried on working a lot with the refugee center that I work with but we, we sort of adapted the service so we were doing a lot of food deliveries we were cooking massive meals and delivering them to disadvantaged members of our community here in Hackney as well as um, I was doing casework with three migrant families in the area so that kept me very very busy and it was just, I, you know, I never planned for my lockdown to be mainly me working for a charity pretty much full time. But that's that happened. And I'm kind of glad it did because I would never have had a time in my life where I would have done that. But they say that, you know, when you, you can't go outside, you go in. And it was a time for reflection, for introspection. And I needed that. I think we all did. And actually, as, as worrying at times as it was, and at times, yes, I've cried and thought, oh, I wish I wasn't alone during this and... I have learned to be on my own. I'm so glad that I was prepared for this because I needed it now. And being able to be on my own was powerful because at the end of the day, you know, you're born alone, you die alone. You may as well be able to be on your own to keep going back to yourself because that's all you've got. And I like what I've got. You're listening to Stylist Nobody Told Me. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, and you've been listening to the story of TV presenter Vic Hope. When I listen to Vic, I can really relate because I very rarely say no. Regardless of how full my plate is, when someone asks me to do something or be somewhere or celebrate someone, my default answer is I would love to, even when I'd rather be lying on my own sofa watching Bridgerton. Something about the word no makes me flinch. And in truth, I like to please people. I like to show up for others and I like to play the role of the busy woman. And as Vic described in her own story, being left on my own in silence is something I've forgotten how to do. When I find myself with time to relax or to just be, I feel a sense of loss or confusion or that I'm wasting my time. The truth is we live in a world that expects us to say yes to everything. Being busy is a badge of honour. Working long hours at your day job before logging onto your side hustle is all but expected of millennial women. 
Add that to busy social calendars, fitness schedules, self-improvement goals, and the latest experiences to check off, and the result is often an unattainable level of stuff to do. The result, of course, is burnout, a term that was first coined in the 1970s by American psychologist Herbert Freudenberger, but was acknowledged by the World Health Organization in 2019. Its symptoms include exhaustion, headaches, lack of concentration and reduced professional productivity. And it is thought to be so widely suffered that a slew of self-help books and articles addressing it have dominated over the last few years. For all of us, the last 12 months have been brutal, but they've enforced a collective slowdown in so many of us. Something which I know I and many of you have been grateful for. Having an empty diary or an evening with literally nothing to do but watch another box set has forced us to reassess how happy our previous lifestyles were making us. And while many of us still feel the pressure to say yes to every work project that slides our way, we've realised we cannot do everything without it taking a serious toll on our mental and physical health. And for me, that means saying no more often as a kindness to myself when life slowly returns back to normal. I want to say a big thank you again to Vic Hope for joining us and sharing her story on Nobody Told Me. Vic's second children's novel, Shout Out, is available now. And Vic will also be on this year's judging panel for the Women's Prize for Fiction, where a winner will be announced on the 16th of June. We have had a wealth of brilliant women on this series. So please do subscribe to make sure you don't miss our next series because this is the final episode. But don't forget, you can go back to listen to any of our guests again, including the amazing Rachel talking about how her best friend became her surrogate or Nicola Mendelssohn and why she carried on working after being diagnosed with incurable cancer. We would always love to hear from you and your comments and suggestions on this series of Nobody Told Me. So you can leave these comments in the podcast store or DM us on the Stylist Instagram. And don't forget, you can find more inspiring stories and life lessons on our website, stylist.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening to this series of Nobody Told Me.